Welcome to the PCTR Podcast. I'm Robbie Itterberg, Senior Pastor. I want to thank you for listening today. We hope that you hear from God and that this podcast encourages you in your faith journey. You can connect with us on social at facebook.com slash PCTRNJ or our Instagram handle, PCTRNJ. Or you can find more information or resources at PCTR.org. Have a great day. Peace. This morning, we are continuing a sermon series that we've been in for a few weeks now called God's Fingerprint, Our Values. And each week in this series, we're looking at what makes us, what makes PCTR unique, because every church is not the same. Every church is unique and reflects God's character in the world uniquely. And so we're looking at our values in this series that make us unique. And these values have been discerned by our session. That's the currently serving elders and the two pastors. And they weren't just values that we thought sounded good, that we liked, but instead were discerned as what God has put in us, like his fingerprint on us. Those values that he, have made, he has used to make us PCTR. And so we, in the series, have looked at how we are gospel-centered. We've looked at how we are a family. We've looked at how we are a learning community. That's what we looked at last week. And so if you missed any of those and want to go back, you can hear those on our podcast or on our YouTube channel, PCTRNJ. But as we move into today's value, I've got a question for you. What would you do... If you knew that the world were going to end tomorrow. Now, this may have actually been what you were thinking about on Wednesday night. If you had been following the stories of 2023 BU. You don't know what that is. That was the asteroid that was careening toward Earth. That was the doomsday possibility for us. I mean, I, re- I was listening to the radio this week and heard an interviewer talking to a, a wonderful astronomy nerd who was having his moment of fame in the spotlight. And, you know, the interviewer was asking these questions with this urgency and intensity of the end of the world. Tell us what we need to know. And Immediately, the expert dispelled all of the concern. The asteroid was passing 2,200 miles above the Earth. You know, yes, that's 10 times closer than typically where satellites are roaming around, but it wasn't really that big a threat. And the interviewer lets out this some sort of relieved reply, and I just was kind of laughing to myself about this. You know, so we had this near miss this week. But it doesn't change the the value of the question. What would you do if you knew the end were coming soon? And actually, this is how Peter begins the section of his letter that we're going to look at today. He makes the assertion the end is coming and then follows it up with practical counsel on how to live in light of the end. And that's going to show us the value for this morning. So I'm going to invite you, if you'd like, you can follow along on the screen as we read from 1 Peter chapter 4. Hear God's word for us this morning. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, 
They should do so as one who speaks the very word of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask that you would add your, your blessing to the reading, the hearing, and the preaching of your word. We long for only your word to be heard and received and responded to. So will you purify our hearts, our minds, and our ears, that we can become more of the people that you've intended us to be. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the end is near. The end of all things is near, Peter says, and it's not about timing. He's not trying to tell us exactly when, because Peter knows that God does not operate on our timeline or according to our perspective. In fact, in 2 Peter, he acknowledges that God is delaying the end because he's patiently waiting for humanity to turn back to him. And so Peter is really just trying to keep the end in our mind because the end is a reminder that Jesus is going to come back and when he comes back, Jesus will come and he will judge the earth. And so when Jesus comes back, it means that we will each have to give an account to him for every word that's been spoken, every deed that has been done, every thought that we have harbored, and not just the things that we've actually done, but why we have even done it in the first place. And so Peter is reminding us of that, and he's saying, because of this reality, be clear-minded, be sober, be alert. Don't just go through the motions of living every day. Every moment of your life matters. The end is coming. And even if it's not the end of history, each of our end is coming. And we don't know when that is. And so how do we live? How do we use the limited time that we have left? I'll sum up what the rest of what Peter offers as very practical counsel in the one word that is our value that we're talking about this morning, and it's to serve. He said in verse 10, each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others. Now, is that kind of a weird transition? Because when we think about the end coming, what do you usually think about doing? How did you answer the question when I asked it in the first place? I think we often think about, you know what, I'm going to go out and find the nicest steak dinner I possibly can, and then I'm going to cap that off with as much ice cream as I can possibly stuff inside of me, or maybe I'll finally get up the courage to go skydiving because, hey, the end is coming anyway, why not? Right? And Peter's going, no, none of that. The end is you use the time that you have to serve others. That's what it's really about. What does it mean to serve? I mean, we have some familiarity with the word. What does it really mean? To help, to aid, but what does it really look like? I think we can get the best picture of that actually by looking at Jesus. Jesus said of himself, he said, I have come not to be served, but to serve. And in Luke chapter 4, he actually grabs the words from our first reading this morning that came out of Isaiah 61, and he says, hey, these words are being fulfilled in me right here, right now. And what did we hear earlier from Isaiah 61? That Jesus came to proclaim good news to the poor, to bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim release for the captives and freedom for the prisoners in darkness. 
And that's just one picture in so many ways. As we look at the life and the ministry of Jesus, we see him going to everywhere. Those, there are people who are hurting, who are hurting physically, who are hurting relationally, who are hurting emotionally, who are hurting spiritually to those who are lost. And he provides aid, alleviates pain, offers hope and wholeness that could never be achieved on their own at the greatest cost to himself. That's what it means to serve. And we're invited to serve like that. How do we do it? Peter said that each one of us should use the gifts that we have to serve others. To serve others stewarding the God's grace in its various forms. What does that mean to steward something? See, it would have been easy in Peter's day. That would have been well understood because a steward was someone who worked for a wealthy landowner or a king. And they were put in charge over that landowner, either part or all of that landowner's estate and business affairs. And they ran it like it was their own because they were going to have to give an account to the landowner for how they had run things. And so they were in charge of everything, but they didn't own anything. And Peter is saying, be stewards of God's grace in its various forms. And actually in that sentence, the word for gift and the word for grace actually have the very same root. And so what Peter is saying is that every good thing you have is a gift you've received from God's grace. And isn't that a different perspective than kind of the the prevailing view in our day? The view that says you make it happen. If that perspective is you manifest it out into the universe and if you manifest it enough, then it will come back to you. Or you know what? If you work hard enough, then you'll earn it. You'll be worthy of it. You'll deserve it. And Peter is saying, no, everything you have, even if you worked hard, is a gift. A gift that you've received from God's grace and you are to steward those gifts. In other words, you don't really own them. (laughs) They belong to God. And so we're to use these gifts, God's grace in its various forms, to serve others who are hurting physically, emotionally, socially, spiritually, relationally. And so it begs the question, what are, the, what are your gifts? What do you got? What has God given you? Perhaps most fundamentally, we have forgiveness. Right? This is at the heart of the gospel, isn't it? You know, left to ourselves, we are in rebellion against God or we live in self-reliance, alienated from God. But, but Jesus has taken our sin upon himself, taken our alienation upon himself on the cross so that we can be forgiven. We can be restored to a relationship with God. See, and then Jesus does this amazing thing in John 20. He commissions the church. He commissions his followers. He says, as the father has sent me, I'm sending you. And then he, does, he says this crazy thing. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Sounds really irresponsible of Jesus, if you ask me. But it's not because Jesus knows that if, if his followers, as his followers really experience and understand the fullness of forgiveness that he has achieved for us, then there's no way we could withhold forgiveness from anyone else. See, if we're withholding forgiveness... If we're holding that gift back, that means we don't actually really understand the gravity of the forgiveness that we've received. 
We don't understand the seriousness of our state, alienated and separated from God, worthy of death. We don't understand that the only reason we're forgiven is because Jesus died on a cross for us. And if he would do that for us, how could we withhold forgiveness from someone else? Jesus knows that we've received a gift of incredible value and worth, and we can turn and we can give the gift to others freely. But when we put our faith in Jesus, when we've abandoned our self-salvation efforts and our self-justification, you're not just forgiven. Jesus tells us in that same John 20, he breathed the Holy Spirit on them. We receive his spirit dwelling within us, and along with that, the Holy Spirit will give us gifts called spiritual gifts. Do you know you have spiritual gifts? And we actually can find lists of these spiritual gifts within scripture. If you go to Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we see these lists where Paul has outlined just this incredible list of gifts that the spirit offers the church. And we need every single one of these gifts. If you're not familiar with the list, go read them. If you have no idea what your gifts are, there's spiritual gift assessments and tools. You can find some online. Some are better, some are worse, but just go start. Go use some of these tools and, and start to explore what the spiritual gift that you may have. Because we need every single gift of the body to be in use, in service, because here's the thing. God has gifted you with gifts that he hasn't given the person behind you or next to you. He's given you gifts to meet needs that somebody else isn't capable of meeting. And so if you're not putting your gifts into practice, then the ministry, the service of Jesus' church is, is, off, is lopsided. It's out of balance. It's like if you saw a bodybuilder who did nothing but work out their legs. And by the way, I hate legs. I hate leg day. It's awful. But if you saw a bodybuilder that worked on their legs all the time, that was not all they ever worked on. You'd see that they've got these tree trunks for legs, but then they've got this tiny little waist and these toothpick for arms. It would be weird looking. That's what it's like when the church, all of us, every single one of us, is not putting our gifts into practice, into service. Because the world has needs that the gift that God has given you may be exactly what is needed. Because you might be God's plan to bring his love and his grace into someone's life wherever you are. Because your influence is a gift. Do you know that you, the roles that you find yourself in, the places where you are, the network of relationship, God has put you in them? And you can leverage that influence to serve? Like you can leverage that because you might know someone over here who has gifts that may actually meet the need of someone else you know over here. Will you leverage that network and influence for the sake of serving those who are hurting and broken? Or will we hold back because we don't want to offend, we don't want to step on toes, we don't want to be ostracized, whatever it is. You have influence. We've got tangible gifts, don't we? You've got the clothes on your back, so I at least know that much. You may have a roof over your head, I hope so. You may have come in a car that you drive. You have money of some amount, and a lot or a little isn't really the point. The real point and the question is whether we're going to steward what we have as if it's not our own and use it to serve others. Time may in fact be the greatest gift that you have. We utilize time to serve others or is time really wrapped up in serving you? 
See, we have, we have tons of gifts, tons of God's grace to use to serve. But here's the thing. We won't serve unless we see that there are people who need to be served. And I know that sounds really like odd. Adele Calhoun wrote an amazing book on spiritual disciplines, these practices that we can do in order to put ourselves in a place to enhance and grow our relationship with Jesus. And she has a section on serving. And in that section, she writes this. She says, we will never really serve others unless we see that the needs of our neighbors are as real and important as our own. This may seem obvious, she says, but the truth of the matter is many of us look right through others and never see them, let alone care about that they have need. When we are preoccupied with our own concerns, much of the world is simply invisible to us. Service is rooted in seeing, in seeing others as God does. So often we just move through our day, don't we? focused on the tasks in front of us, our responsibilities, our needs, our desires. And we miss the fact that throughout that whole day, there are people all around us and that there are people who have needs all around us, places where they're hurting and broken. And yes, I know much of the time people look like they have it put together. But underneath, <laughs> there is often a need, a vulnerability, a hurt and a brokenness people everywhere, every day, and you might be God's plan to serve them, to bring his grace to bear in their life. But you have to see them. And we gotta be honest, our biases cause us to see some people and not see others. And to see some kinds of need and hurt and brokenness and not see others or at least not appreciate it. And we're invited to see everyone as God sees them, as valuable, as loved, as sinful and vulnerable and broken, but his precious child. And that's part of why we're intentional as a church, as PCTR, to try to serve our community. And we do that often in very organized ways so that we can mobilize our effort together. Just recently, we, we packed boxes that are being sent around the world to service men and women as, as an act of encouragement and service toward them as they are serving us. We packed, just before the, you know, at Christmas time, we packed a lot of bags that were distributed through the Hope Center for meals for those who wouldn't have had a Christmas meal, perhaps, otherwise. And going a little further back, I, it was before my time, but I continue to hear incredible stories of the work of, of this church as Hurricane Sandy rolled through town. And the willingness to go in and serve in just the, literally the muck, mucking out homes and where people were hurting and vulnerable and broken in so many ways. And these are examples, just a number, and I could keep going, there's so many examples from our history of being a people who serve and who organize ourselves to do that. This is part of why it's a discerned value, not just something we made up as a good idea. But it's also not just about the organized, programmed, institutional acts of service. We want to be a people that serves. You know, the church is the people, not the organization. And so we want to be a people who serves everywhere that has a heart of service, that we are servants. And so we can serve everywhere we are. You could serve at home. That might actually be the hardest place to serve sometimes. Because you reach the end of a day and you just want to put your feet up and you just kind of want to shut it down and you just want to relax and you want to have your needs met for a little while. Forgetting that the others that you may live with have needs of their own. And you may be the one placed uniquely in their life at that moment to meet that need. To point them to Jesus, perhaps. 
You can serve within the church, that's for sure. Yes, in programmed areas, in youth ministry, in children's ministry, adult discipleship, you can serve in all sorts of ways in the church, but you can also serve in informal ways in the church. Last weekend, our 1030 service was exploding. We didn't have enough chairs for the people that were coming. And there was a group of our youth, our teenagers, that, that, that saw this need, that got up from where they were, seated in a more comfortable spot, and they moved up to the splash zone. The front row, right? Notice nobody's sitting in the front row here either. Like, I'm, I must spit a lot. They moved right to the front row, which you know that that's not the favorite spot of anyone. But how beautiful to see the need for somebody else to feel comfortable and to be willing to get up and move for the sake of the other. A little but beautiful act of service. There are those among us who see the need. They see when those they normally are worshiping with aren't here. Because let's be honest, who sits in the same seat every week? You don't have to hold your hand up. But we sit often in the same spots or the same areas, and so you get to know the people around you. And when they're not here, you have an opportunity to serve them, to love them, to call them, to reach out to them, and there's some that are doing it. It's a beautiful thing. You can serve in your school. You can serve in your workplace. You can serve in your neighborhood. Everywhere you are, you can serve. But you have to see the need in the people as God sees them. And Peter offers some very practical ways that that, look, that plays out. The first thing he said was to pray. And so if you're not able-bodied to serve somebody physically or tangibly, you can serve somebody spiritually and pray. Those who are hurting, those who are sick, those who are lonely, you can pray for them. Those who don't know Jesus, you can pray for them. Because there are people walking through this world, lots and lots of people who do not know Jesus. And here's the thing, if they don't know Jesus, they don't have access to the Father the way you have access to the Father. Jesus has made it so that you can come into the throne room of grace and you can pray boldly and confidently that the Father will hear you. And so you can go in and pray on their behalf that God's grace would move in their life and break down the barriers so that they would come to a place of repentance and that they would know the joy, forgiveness, and restoration in Jesus Christ. That's an act of service to pray. I'm so grateful that so many of you pray for me and my family. It's an act of service. We have many prayer warriors a part of this church. Peter also raises up the value of hospitality. It would not have been easy to be the church in Peter's day. This was in the Roman Empire. They were under persecution actively, right? They were suffering. And yet, they knew that they had the message of hope of Jesus Christ, and so they continued to send missionaries out into the hostile world because they knew that the hostile world that was hostile to them was really hostile to God, and they were alienated from him. And it was too important that they spread that hope but they were desperately in need of hospitality when they would travel because they needed Christians to open their homes or else they'd have nowhere to sleep. And so they would go and they would open their home to these strangers, an act of hospitality. The worship of the church was dependent on hospitality in this day. Where did the early church worship? In the earliest days of the church, they worshiped in the temple and that lasted for like eight minutes until they were kicked out. And so then they became dependent. They worshiped in each other's homes. And they were dependent on the hospitality of the church to open their homes to welcome each other in or worship wouldn't happen together. How about that? What if we came to your house to worship next week? 
Wouldn't that be beautiful? You might be like, oh, not so beautiful. You haven't seen my kitchen and this pile in the sink, and we won't even talk about the pile on the dining room table that's just been sitting there. It's clean, but it's not folded. You know, I'm just speaking hypothetically. (laughs) And so often we're thinking about our image, how people are going to think of us, our comfort level. But hospitality is not about us. It's about seeing the other, making them feel welcome, making sure they're comfortable. Hospitality is profound, and maybe it's not in your home, maybe it is, but you can do it every time you show up here. You know, we regularly have visitors among us, and we're so grateful. We love to have visitors here, which means sometimes if you're a regular here, it means I ignore you, and it's not because I don't care about you. It's because to serve the newcomer and the visitor among us is an act of hospitality, And it's not just my work, it's our work together. And it may not be a newcomer, it may just be somebody you don't know. And your act of hospitality can be a service to them because it reminds them that God sees them, God cares about them, God loves them as you express that too. And Peter goes on and he says, if you speak, he's assuming that speaking is an act of service. If you speak, speak as one who speaks the words of God. In other words, who has this word about the hope of Jesus Christ. And sometimes I hear, you know, when we talk about service, yeah, you know, I'm really into modeling my faith. I'm just going to be an example of what it means to follow Jesus. And that's a good and beautiful thing. Don't get me wrong. But they will never know Jesus because of your modeling. They might think that you're a kind person or a generous person or a patient person. But here's the truth. There are people who do not believe in Jesus and are not his followers who are more patient, who are more kind, who are more generous, and who serve more sacrificially than I do. I'm just going to acknowledge that. So they're not going to know Jesus necessarily because of the way we serve by example. At some point, we have to speak up. Speak the word of God. And he's given a word for you. How he has impacted your life through the good news of Jesus Christ how there's hope for you today and for eternity. You have a word that you can speak that can serve the deep need of vulnerability and spiritual and emotional brokenness of the world. We can serve in in very tangible ways as well, physical ways. Peter says, if you're gonna serve, serve with the strength that God would give you to serve those physical needs for the hungry, the lonely, the sick, to serve with courage and passion and strength. But lastly, I want, to th- I want to talk about why we would serve, though, because there's lots of reasons to serve, aren't there? As a matter of fact, service is, is kind of a shared value that we have with our culture because we're encouraged to, to serve others, to be kind. Certainly, it's, it's put into our kids' heads in school. But the question is, why? Why do we serve? I think commonly, what's encouraged for our motivation for service is because it feels good. Right? It makes us feel good about ourselves, that it enriches our lives. It gives us a sense of meaning, of satisfaction. We'll be happier when we serve others, which is all good because it gets people moving in the right direction. And there's been lots of people who have been incredibly vulnerable, who have had their needs met because people served because it felt good. But what about when it doesn't feel good? Do we stop then? Because there's lots of acts of service that don't feel so good. When we get tired, when it's costly, right? What, there's all sorts of ways that 
when you're the one hurting, it's challenging to be the one to serve somebody else. So do we stop at that point? See, remember, Peter is writing to a church that is being actively persecuted. They are suffering daily. And yet they considered it an honor to suffer as Jesus suffered. And they continued to serve. Some serve because they need to be needed. And they're often the first ones to jump into service. And what it looks like is this incredible, beautiful act of sacrificial service. And yet the reality is it's not about the one that they're serving. It's about their own need. It's about your own need, my own need. Because I need to feel needed in order to feel like I have significance and value and worth in the world. And so I need you to be vulnerable for me to feel okay. I need to be needed to feel okay. And what then happens is service becomes our idol. The thing that we serve that is going to promise us to have a fulfilling life. But will ultimately leave us empty in the end and probably pretty bitter because it never fulfills fully. Well, then we should just serve because it's the right thing to do, shouldn't we? I mean, it's all throughout the Bible to serve. Yeah, Peter has this interesting little phrase. He says, offer hospitality without grumbling. <laughs> Where does grumbling come from? You know, grumbling comes from when we get annoyed, huh? That we're still having to do this thing. Oh, having to, it's an obligation. When serving becomes an obligation, something we have to do, not, there's no joy, there's no gratitude, there's no love, then we grumble a lot. And there's a lot of religious people that show up and do the tasks of service, but do it with a whole lot of grumbling. And what it reveals is this reality that, you know what, it's really still about me. And I'm frustrated and annoyed by you. And what happens is we then, if we're grumbling a lot, we will often try to figure out who is worthy and not worthy of our service. Because here's the thing. I don't really want to be doing it anyway. It's just a duty, a task, a responsibility. And if I can figure out who's unworthy and make more and more people unworthy of my service, then I have less I have to do. Whew, what a relief. And they're not going to be grateful for the service anyway, will they? So why bother? And they're just going to squander the opportunity. They made the mess of their life. Why should I have to clean it up? See, if we serve out of obligation, then we're probably going to look past a whole lot of people that God put us in their life and in their path to serve. Instead, Peter invites us to another motivation to serve. He says, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Right? Here's the reality. Jesus has served us. Thank God he didn't serve when we were worthy because I'm not worthy. Thank God he didn't stop serving when I had become grateful because often I'm ungrateful. Thank God he didn't serve only if I wasn't going to squander the opportunity that he offered me because I've squandered the opportunity of grace over and over and over again. See, when I realize that, when I realize how unworthy I am and yet the God of the universe has served me, then we can be filled with a joy and a gratitude and a love that then we can serve freely. See, we want to be a people that serves from that place to give God all of the praise, the glory, and the honor. And we do that because we remember that he has served us 
Friends, the end is near. (laughs) Will you see the people in your life the way God sees them? Will you serve using every gift that you've been given to be a steward of God's grace, knowing that you could be the very plan to, to meet the need of those who are hurting physically, spiritually, emotionally, relationally in your life and the world around us. And as we do, they will see Jesus and he will be praised. Let's be that kind of people. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you served us beyond what we can really even imagine, certainly beyond what we deserve. And so we thank you for the incredible gifts of your grace that is life itself, your forgiveness, your Holy Spirit within us, the spiritual gifts that you've given us, the tangible gifts you've given us, the influence you've given us, the time you've given us. Lord, help us to see the gifts that we could use to serve others. Give us eyes to see others around us through our biases, through our our desire for comfort, through our own self-absorption. May we see and then give us the courage to move toward and to serve where the need is, as you would lead us, that through our service, others would come to know Jesus and that you would receive the praise and the glory and the honor forever. In Jesus' name, amen. 